At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yelled about, first and last. I have opened a door to the world that you had closed for all eternity. Lift Sophia's third veil. Do not fear the flesh, and do not love it. I, that have been sent from the power, and I have come to those who think about me, and I have been found in those who search for me, except me by your side. I am the first and the last, the honorable and the despicable, the prostitute and the respectable, the wife and the virgin, the mother and the I am the light that is above all things. I am everything. Everything came out of me and returned to me. Whoever doesn't hate their brothers and sisters won't become my disciple. But whoever drinks from my mouth will know that which is hidden. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. And it's always fun when your host and pompadus of gnosis, Miguel Connor, welcomes you to Aeon Bite, here in the desert of the real. The psychotic drowns where the mystic swims. We don't take prisoners but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. You are the final authority, have always been. Materializing at the virtual Alexandria to finally find out who you really are and what reality is not. We're running with those searching for the truth and avoiding those who have found it. We're writing our own gospel and living our own myth. I will not make any deals with you. I've resigned. I will not be pushed. Filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. One important element of Aeon Byte's ethos, of Gnosticism itself, is the restoration of the goddess, the anima, the lunar mysteries, Tiamat's chaotic vulva. That's why this show has provided numerous episodes on Sophia, Mary Magdalene, and other Gnostic heroines. For they are the keys to the return of Dreamtime and the very survival of humanity. And that's why the powers and principalities in their nihilistic circle jerks have spent centuries suppressing these manifestations of the Divine Feminine. The American people are tired of women. Shut up! Silly woman. Someone who has definitely promoted Mary Magdalene and Sophia longer than I have 
is Dr. Joanna Kuyawa, a friend, brilliant scholar, and mystic in her own right. I'm so excited she joins us in this eternal now to share her new book, The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. This work is a game changer in many respects, a bridge builder between many Eastern and Western traditions, between the solar and lunar cosmic energies. The book is also an avenue into accessing renewing, rapturous energies that have been denied to most of us because of ruling Epstein angels and their Karens and Katamites in the establishment. But no more, for we can now grasp the balancing power of our inner Christ and Sophia, Prometheus and Athena, Shiva and Shakti. Under all these lives I've lived, something else has been growing. I've evolved into something new. And I have one last role to play. Myself. We can now understand how to become Plato's hermaphrodite, or Adam Cadman. Or if you prefer another gender, the great mother of the Simon Magus cosmology that is the template from which all humans and reality itself originate. But I saw at one point that our mothers are bus drivers. They are the bus. See, they're the vehicle that gets us here. They drop us off and go on their way. They continue on their journey. And the problem is that we keep trying to get back on the bus instead of just letting it go. All of this reminds me of this quote by Arundhati Roy. Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. I didn't have the heart to tell her there is no heaven to go to. Because we're in it already. We're in hell, too. They coexist right beside each other. And God is the land. I am eternally grateful your presence continues to make Aeon by grow. At least in traffic and listens. Alas, 2022 has taken a hit when it comes to subs and donations. I understand these are messed up economic times. As always, if you need any full shows, just let me know. I have even given individuals who need Gnosis free annual subscriptions. I have also not raised prices in years and even lowered some prices on some platforms, just to make sure everyone has access. I keep costs low partly by doing other work like voiceover or freelance marketing. But if you do find value in this content, consider supporting. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Not much else of my own words. I'd like to read now from Stefan Heller's Jung and the Lost Gospels. Heller provides a sort of grand unified mythology of Sophia. Joanna mentions this in her book, and we both really like what Heller did especially with all the variants of the fall and rise of Sophia in Gnostic lore. I think you'll really like it too. Here is the passage, and then on to our stellar interview with Joanna. 
high in the ineffable and transcendental world of light, there existed a primal pair named Depth and Silence. Together they brought forth a perfect realm of balance and creative power, consisting of 30 archetypal forms of consciousness called Aeons. The youngest and most adventurous of these, called Sophia, or Wisdom, fell in love with her own royal progenitor, the great invisible king of the all, called Depth, and wished to fathom his perennially inscrutable nature. Confused by her love, she cast her glance in various directions from her aeonial seat in the fullness until in the distance he espied a magnificent light, shimmering with sublime grace. In her bewilderment, brought about by love, she could no longer distinguish between the above and below, and thus came to assume that the seductive light, which was in reality below her, was none other than the royal effulgence of the great king, her father, who resided at the highest point of the heavens. Thus, she descended into the abysmal void, wherein a boundless and fathomless sea of glass, the reflection of the heavenly light beckoned to her. She tore a hole in our universe, gateway to another dimension, a dimension of pure chaos. Her celestial consort, Christ was unable to restrain her, and thus after a final painful embrace, she plunged into the murky deep, only to discover how the reflective light had deceived her. Saddened and frightened, she found herself enclosed by emptiness, devoid of the quality and power of Gnosis to which she was accustomed in the fullness. Desirous of having a kindred figure next to her, she brought forth in a virginal fashion a being whose name was Jesus. Although conceived mysteriously by her desire for her original Gnosis, Jesus was nevertheless joined to a shadow of darkness, which attached itself to him because of the malefic influences of the dark void wherein he was born. Jesus soon freed himself from his troublesome, shadowy attachment and ascended into the fullness, leaving Sophia in a state of despondency. This world you made will always be broken, just like you. Left outside the supernal, spiritual universe, alone and comfortless, Sophia experienced every sort of psychic storm imaginable. Passion, sorrow, fear, despair, and ignorance exuded from her being like mighty clouds and condensed into the four elements of earth, water, fire, and air, as well as into a number of beings, which later were to be known under such names as the Demiurge and the Archons fierce and troublesome spirits, one and all. The mightiest of these, a lion-faced being filled with pride and the will for power, marshaled his host of world-fashioning spirits, 
and out of the raw material of earth, water, fire, and air, they built a world of impressive external appearance, yet replete with great flaws, having been created in the image of its creators. Sophia, ask yourself, why God made a world like this one? A real shitty God. The same one that created this world. I want to leave. Sorrow, fear, ignorance, and other painful and destructive passions were built into the fabric of this imperfect world. Inasmuch as the raw material used by the fashioners originated in feelings like those experienced by Sophia. Looking down at the flawed and troubled world pridefully fashioned by her own ignorant offspring, Sophia was filled with pity for creation and resolved to assist in such ways as would be available to her. She thus became the spirit of the world, anxiously observing it like a mother is wont to do when watching over a feeble and misshapen child. You show the lights war baby this life the things we endure you said you saw the future and it's an apocalypse who survives that the lovers or the fighters they sell us this lie that love's gonna save us all it does is make us stupid and weak. Thanks. Look at me. Love isn't going to save us. It's what we have to save. Pain makes us strong enough to do it. All our scars, our anger, our despair, it's armor. Baby, God loves the sinners best because our fire burns bright, bright, bright. Burn with me. This is the Aeon Bide interview. And with us, we have the pleasure of having my friend and an individual who I've always admired for the work she's done. And that is Dr. Joanna Kuyawa, who will be discussing her new book, the other goddess, Mary Magdalene, and the goddess of arrows and secret knowledge. Joanna, thank you very much for coming to the virtual Alexandria one more time. Thank you, Miguel. It's always a great pleasure to be here with you and with Vance. Always a pleasure. Yes, I was in your podcast about a month or a few months ago, and that was a lot yeah. of fun. 
I think we can continue the fun. I don't know if it's going to be a Gnostic rodeo, as you called it, but we'll see what we can, what we can conjure, what metaphors we can come up with. And yes, with us, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, and I'm very happy to be here with uh, you and Joanna. It's always nice to hear you, Joanna. I'm looking forward to all the knowledge and wisdom that you will shower upon us. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, why don't we get started with how this book came about? I'm sure it was very easy. What did uh, Ernest Hemingway say when it came to writing? He said, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. Is that basically what happened, Joanna? Yes, yes. Bleeding, pretty much. But the uh, also, in some ways, it was a great act of liberation for me because um, when I was writing this book and also during this pandemic, uh, I realized how artificial everything around me is and how I was personally enslaved by two major paradigms in my life. One was the literary circle to which I used to belong, you know, and they have their own rules and I realized their own dogmas. You know, just like the church, just like, uh, (laughs) you know, anyone, any special circle, right? They consider themselves special or an academia. And I realized how artificial the structures were and how I unconsciously completely uh, allow them to enslave me. It was a conscious act of uh, subordination, really. So I couldn't, uh, in in some ways, I couldn't write anything personal uh, simply because you know, my first thought was, what would they think? And it was quite unconscious. You know, I didn't know really that I was thinking that. And then I, during the pandemic, I realized everything is completely artificial. And somehow I freed myself from this desire, you know, to please anyone, to, uh, to uh, you know, to be a part of any particular special gra- uh, club, whether literary or academic, And I just decided I'm going to write a book that wants to be written, Uh, even if it is very personal and even if it talks about controversial things such as spirituality and sexuality. Because I have to tell you, gentlemen, that although, you know, I, I talk about it also with some other podcasts, I thought that people who are very open minded, once you mention sexuality and once you mention sexuality and spirituality, especially, they all freak out. You know, so I think this really, really has to be discussed. Yeah. Some some really, I thought like this guy is really wild, you know, we can really have a conversation. And it was like, oh no, 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 these things, you know, there are all of these horrible things going on. And 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 and, and, and so I was surprised how but I touched upon a taboo, you know, and for me actually it, it was a very innocent really exploration of you know what if. You know, what if sexuality and spirituality can be one? Where the esoteric traditions that look into this, you know, what is Tantra really about? And and so on. What are about other goddesses, right? Did they practice it? And and it was uh, it was actually in this respect was a very joyful journey. You know, I I just went for it. (laughs) For the first time in my life, I think I just went for it. 
Uh, I'm so happy you did. It was a, it's a wonderful book. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yes, it is very personal. And it's so nice to see you just lay your cards on the table, say, in this incarnation, this is the journey of Joanna for prosperity. Uh, this is what I learned. This is how I fell. This is how I grew into a full individual. At the same time, there's good scholarship on all these religions. There's good uh, social messages as we're talking about sexuality, about the goddess. I mean, we've had many conversations about restoring the goddess and the imbalance of the world and all that. So this is the full package and it's a a good easy not easy read but it's a good it's tight and it just takes you on this uh really amazing journey and uh even the poem at the end which i will read hopefully at the end of our interview is beautiful so uh yeah good job and um the question is um so was this book what was the process of writing it was it just how hard was it because i know it's hard to write these things and then you're trying to balance my personal life with relating it to the goddess was this was it pretty brutal but it was cathartic right it was cathartic but it actually was not very brutal what was brutal was process afterwards but the writing itself was not really i just followed what uh, wanted to be written really you know and and i, I let go all of this uh, other hegemonies you know that were hanging above me you know what i can write about or not and actually the first part of the book was intended as a completely different book. And then I decided, no, I'm going to put these two things together, you know, this personal and also scholarship and just going after theories that are very alternative in some ways and just putting my name on them and, and exploring them. So in a way, it felt like, a, like an exploration, you know, and I had no expectation for the first time in my life also. I had no expectation, you know, is it going to be a good book? I just want it to be an easy read. So I actually, I take it as a great compliment. You know, I didn't want anything really constipated or, you know, <laughs> or extremely, <laughs> you know, like some scholars write in a very, in a way that, you know, right. kind of establishes the maybe authority. And I understand it. Right. But I wanted, I, I wanted a, an easy book to read, you know, so, so I thank you. So in this way, I, I guess I, I managed to do this if it is an easy read. Yeah, by easy is you're entertained. That's what, you know, you're engaged yeah, yeah. with it. Yeah, this is what I mean. And and also I wanted to um, I, I wanted to uh relate to my own experience, to my own journey. So I'm telling people, look, if you're not interested in me, if you want to jump straight into Mary Magdalene and the goddesses, just keep the first part, right? Because I can already see somebody saying, well, she didn't say anything about Mary Magdalene until part two, really. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and that's true, because I go through this journey to eros and spirit in, in personal terms, you know, even from uh, being a, a young girl in Poland. So, so actually, it was a very enjoyable process, I must say. What was not enjoyable is just like, you know, dramas with editing and, and, and so on, oh, you know? yeah. so, which, were, which had nothing to do with me. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> otherwise, otherwise it, it, the, the, the process of writing was actually enjoyable. But having said so, you know, the, the bleeding, you know, what Hemingway said, the bleeding uh, took place for whatever. See, I was writing since I was 17. And that was, you know, bleeding for like 30 years. And then and, and 
about when I was 21, I started to write in English and then it, it was horrible bleeding, you know, <laughs> to try to e- express yourself in, in English in a beautiful way or it, it, it was a, I, I don't know how I found the energy and strength to actually do it for, for decades, you know, until I thought, okay, I, I think, I, I think I can do this. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, we're just vessels for higher powers and they might discard us and they might say, no, you're not going to get any, uh, yeah. your ego is not going to get any attention, but we are vessels and we are called and something is important that will move the lead, the, the needle of uh, gnosis or enlightenment for the human race. So that's the way I take it when I write. And that's what I see what you've done. You're just, you're a vessel for, uh, for the energies, those energies of the universe. Absolutely. But you know, there was an ego there too. So sometimes I said like, do you mind? (laughs) 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 I have family to support. You know, I am exhausted. You know, I have 80 papers to mark. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that, that was probably part of a bleeding, kind of a negotiating between the energies and, you know, just kind of uh, daily necessities. Yeah, yeah. It's always a, it's a hard balance, I know, for sure. And it seems uh, Joanna, the person, I mean, you already basically were made for the Gnostic adventure, the, the fall of the soul, which is feminine into matter, and the journey up. because. You, A, were born under the Catholic Church with the restrictive, the restrictive part of the Catholic Church. I grew up in Mexico, and the Catholic Church was sort of uh, not infected, but really influenced by hippie thought. So it was a, a little bit, but you were like at the core. And also, too, you were born under Soviet rule. I always, I'm sure you must uh, roll your eyes sometimes with people on social media calling each other, you know, fascists and Nazis and all that. And you're like, I know what it is to be, to grow up in an authoritarian, a truly authoritarian, tyrannical rule. So both of these must have been uh, something that, well, it's something you've had to overcome and reprogram. But at the same time, it's not like other people around you in Poland in those days under Soviet rule, you didn't just decide to become part of the machine. You were There was always something within you calling out to get out, to get out of Plato's cave, if you would. Yes, I actually, uh, it must have been, you know, Sophia, some version of intuition, because everybody was buying either into the Catholic dogma, because, look, it was the only alternative that people knew to uh, to communism or communism, Stalinism, really, right? Because... Uh, uh, these things may not necessarily be the same, to Stalinism, so they turn into Catholicism. So I, I, it was exactly, as you said, being between these two, two really repressive um, options. And I said, like, I, I, I don't like any of these options, you know? And, and I had actually opportunity to move on with a social ladder uh, in both options, right? In a Catholic option from a university uh, I was at a Catholic university and also through, uh, through communist option because uh, my parents divorced, but my father was uh, like a, at certain stage uh, a dignitary, you know. So I rebel against two, these two things. So, um, and, and, and I'm glad. And my first thought, you know, was really, I have to get out. 
you know, so it's just a little bit like getting out of a matrix, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Except that you really don't know what's uh, on the other side. You really don't know what's on the other side, right? But this is part of the adventure, right? Yes, indeed. And yeah, again, for the audience, she gives her story, very intimate relationships, journeys. Uh, for example, you talk about Paris and, uh, you know, your awakening as a woman and a, a spiritual seeker and all that. And I remember there was one scene, Joanna, that really struck me. You were, uh, your visa had expired and you were out with some friends out on the street, beautiful Paris. This was this is where you needed to be. And some official came asking for documentation and you didn't have it. And you're able to sort of, uh, I don't know, flirt your way, use divine, <laughs> the divine feminine to work for you to get out of it. And and you write that you knew that uh, you could not go back to yeah. uh, Soviet occupied Poland. You would rather die. I mean, you knew this. I have escaped. I am not going back alive <laughs> so if you if you let me maybe i'll explain sure. a, a little bit more of the situation because i actually when i was growing up i had no idea if i'm ugly or pretty and it really didn't matter to me you know and i had a sense that probably i'm not you know uh, pretty because i like books you know and pretty girls just basically do <laughs> other things right and 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 i was not necessarily cool i was very shy as a kid so so i had no idea and then you know when i went to paris uh, I was invited to a party that was uh, full of uh, girls that were going to modeling school. And I thought like, oh, thank you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of these beautiful babes, right? <laughs> and I am there. So uh, I, I basically did my own thing. I, I was, uh, I saw, a, I, I, I saw a bookshelf and I, you know, and, and, and I started to look through the books and at certain stage, you know, I just practice my French and I ask in French, you know, what time it is because I wanted to, to go home, right? I think I did my duty uh, to my friend who invited me, a French friend. And, and then the, this awakening, actually, you know, just to give some credit to the divine masculine, you know, I came from, from uh, the French men who were there. And there were a couple of them who said, who told me the time and they said, it is too early to leave you know, for you, please stay a little bit longer. And I had this kind of almost like epiphany, you know, that perhaps I do exist as a woman, you know, that perhaps that there is, you know, some beauty in me. And then it gave me some form of confidence or perhaps not confidence really, but it gave me the, a sense that there is something to explore there, right? There is some kind of sweetness and I realized, you know, and, and that there is some, sweetness of eros you know that i wanted to explore on a, a as a form of um as a form of enjoyment you know not intellectually not reading about it but let's play with this and because my visa expired and i was with my french friends at in paris it was a beautiful evening on the boulevard of saint michel and 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 you know the, the gendarme, young gendarme, came up and asked everybody for their papers, and they all had their papers because they were French, right? Except me, right? <laughs> yeah. Because I was this Eastern European <laughs> refugee, you know, <laughs> with her papers expired. And and when he looked at me, because he was just going for all of us, or maybe six, seven people, I just smiled at him, you know, like I gave him my best smile and. Uh, and very seductive smile. And I knew that this is my um, 
this is my only way out because as you said i was just so determined that i thought that if they send me back to poland that's it i'm going to kill myself okay that was that serious yeah. so and 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 i knew I'm, i was not going back and and he looked at me and i knew you know he gave me this wry smile that he knew exactly what i was doing <laughs> And he let me get away with this, you know, he didn't ask for my papers and just gave me this kind of nice look, you know, and, and walked away. So I'm eternally grateful to this gendarme in Paris because I could stay in Paris and then I could move on to North America and later, you know, live my life. It would have ended my life at that stage. So, so yes, so yes, I did play on this kind of feminine, you know, allure that I was just now starting, starting to explore and I'm sure you enjoyed it too. Again, it's, as you talk about your book, is these beautiful energies that dance together, the, the lunar, the solar, the yes. consciousness and its experience or the dance of these polarities that are really bring not just life to the universe, but sustain the very universe. And each of us is a macro of this. And you are starting to use that and be in the flow in life and the rest of your book is you sort of developing these energies which of course weren't just for you know staying in paris or yes. really enjoying time with friends and the opposite sex but it became a spiritual path a viable spiritual path yes so when i discovered this also as a spiritual path when i started to explore you know uh, tantra right because at the beginning i was just exploring greek goddesses but uh, Yes, there is a limitation there in, in, in Greek goddesses. So I started to explore Tantra. Yes, but thank you for mentioning these energies because I love this dance of these energies. And recently I was giving an interview to someone and he said, you, we have to transcend these polarities and, you know, we have to get over this feminine, masculine. And yes, eventually we do. But you eventually, know, yeah. it is. And it's true. But, you know. We are here at the moment, you know, with these polarities and they have a huge potential, you know, also for our development as human beings and also as, you know, for our spiritual development. So they are very enjoyable energies and, and they are not limited to sexuality. They are just erotic energies, really, right, that are also spiritual. Yeah, that is true. I mean, it's important we play with them. Even you're talking earlier about Iran and scholarly circles and all that. Well, there's nothing wrong with wearing a persona. Jung said you mm -hmm. have to wear masks to be in a healthy mm -hmm. society. But like the male-female, there's a time when we transcend them. But yeah. there's nothing wrong with playing with masks and the polarities, the anima and the animus. But I think uh, <laughs> what the weird thing is, what I really related in your book is you talked about your happiest times was just when you were in Toronto and you would just ar walk around cafes and go to old bookstores and so forth i was like oh my god that's that's what that would make me so happy just to be able to do again you know <laughs> yes yes this is i loved it you know this was this kind of dreaming time of my life almost you know and i actually spent lots of time doing this you know these were the days when you know books were really still bought in bookstores right and, and bookstores also had little cafes maybe little coffee or there would be a cafe next to the bookstore and and yes and this is eros as well you know, this kind of enjoyment, maybe sublimated enjoyment, but this is Eros as well, which is kind of meeting of beauty with your soul. 
I agree very much. Well, I'm sure some in the audience, as we're talking and using these terms, maybe we should try to unpack these terms. Mm -hmm. And uh, this will help get to the essence of your book, The Other Goddess. But what is Eros, Joanna, or who is Eros? Mm -hmm. What is Eros? Maybe not who is Eros, because otherwise we're going back to Greek mythology. And I think everybody knows, you know, uh, about Eros and Aphrodite and, you know, there are different types of Eros and so on. But I was actually interested more in what uh, another author and apparently a channel, uh, Eva Pirakos, uh, said about Eros. So she made this really interesting distinction and I kind of elaborated on it in my book. It is that uh, when... Two people meet that, you know, you can have sexual attraction to someone, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. And, and she calls it animalistic and it can be fun, right? But what really happens, a connection doesn't happen just because of that. Yeah, so you can, uh, you can ha end up having great sex and then you have nothing to, to say to each other, basically, right? <laughs> so this is what you do probably when you're really young or, you know. <laughs> or need to grow up. But she says <laughs> Eros, <laughs> you know, and unfortunately all um, uh, entertainment industry is really focusing on this part, you know? And when I, I was really shocked because when I lived in Asia, I realized that, you know, what Asian people think about white fox, you know, they just, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to use a rude word, right? Because this is what's being uh, portrayed. You know, they have no sense of love or, you know, they, they are just like animals. And it was just, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, like this is not how it is at all. But this is what our media does. So uh, erotic connection is different. And that's why I also like the word uh, erotic uh, which I took actually from French here, erotique, you know, because I realized as I started to meet French men that they use the word sexual is actually sexual, not a word that they are using often, but rather erotique, you know, and there is such almost mystique to this word. But Eva Piraco says, and I agree with her, that uh, erotic uh, eros or erotic connection that comes with this is much more than, you know, sexual desire. It's not just sexual chemistry. It's basically you meet someone and you have a sense of recognition, like you have a sense of, I know you, or I really, I think I know you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I want to explore about something more about you. I, there is something there. I don't know. Like, and this is where some people say, oh, maybe past life connections or, you know, flame soulmates or whatever, you know, but there is this recognition of our own soulfulness, of our beingness, and that we are somehow in it together. And it is very beautiful and mysterious. So you want, you're drawn to each other almost on a different level. So this is what Eros is for me, that you want to dance with this person energetically, right? It may be, become sexual, but actually doesn't even have to be sexual. Does it make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, 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 and then this can take you higher you know this is where there's this uh, potential what later tantra talks about i mean later in my book you know for expansion of human consciousness playing with it's really about playing with energies right it, it, this energies are sexual you know but they're more also than sexual this is this kind of sense of complete recognition you know of another person and not only this you want to show yourself fully to this person 
and you want to know this other person fully in all its beauty, that beauty and ugliness. When, for example, in, in sexual attraction or regular romance, you know, it is again assuming masks, right? Mm -hmm. like right. You, you're afraid to show your ugly parts, right? Whether emotionally, intellectually, or morally, or even physically, you know? And, and I say like, how many times you can wear the same red dress to the same effect, to the same <laughs> yeah. person, right? It wears off, you know, and the same, the same for a man. So this is a sexual attraction. When erotic attraction, it doesn't wear off because not only you want to know another person better, but you not want to know, you have to explore yourself more, right? Like, who am I, right? And, and share it with this other person and vice versa. So it's a very much deeper and more beautiful connection. Yeah, I love it. It's almost an unveiling. Speaking of uh, okay. a, a favorite goddess of ours, Inanna and the seven veils, that's it. Yeah. It's an unveiling of who you are until all that's left is your true self, right? <laughs> Exactly. All is left is your true self. And it takes immense courage. Not many people are prepared to do this, you know. That's why lots of people are stuck in the romance stage, because they cannot move on into, you know, it's time to take the veil off, you know, what's behind the veil. But that's the beauty and the seduction, actually, of the soul, I would say. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, because romance, you're just, uh, even Jung would say, you're just projecting. You're yeah, projecting exactly. your best qualities on somebody. Then after about six months, you start projecting your worst qualities. You know, <laughs> he's lazy or she's rude. <laughs> you know, it's it just is. projection. But like you're saying, arrows is a complete, yeah, the unveiling going deep within yourself with that person, or as you say, somehow is destined to be in your path. That person was right. meant to be there. That, that's right. Although I would argue, and perhaps it is a bit controversial, especially when people talk about soulmates, that it doesn't have to be one person in your life. In different stages of your life, you may meet people, you know, who play this part in your life and you play that part in their lives, right? Because we continue to grow, right? So there are other veils that we have to unveil. And isn't there a dangerous side to arrows? You write about that too, like Charles Baudelaire, Black Venus, Jack Kerouac, others who were kind of took it to the extreme. Yeah, they took it to extreme. So there is a uh, so there is a dangerous path to this, and especially because, for example, uh, uh, Baudelaire, the French uh, poet. You know, he wrote this famous book, Fleur du Mal, which is translated into English, Flowers of Evil, but it could be also translated as uh, Flowers of Pain, right? And it's all about, he was in love apparently with three women and one of them, I call them Venus. You know, one of them was the Black Venus, actually, who was a Creole prostitute, you know, and he was desperately in love with her. It was a very sexual connection and so on. But when he writes about it, when he writes about this law for the three women, especially about his dark Venus, because there's also green-eyed Venus, who was an actress with whom he had an affair, 
and also White Venus, which was an aristocratic woman with whom he also had an affair. So, so you know, he explored all of his aspects of Eros that, uh, that he said that he saw, you know, the spiritual skies, as he calls it, I love it, that he saw spiritual skies when he was with his prostitute, you know, when they were in a cheap brothel, you know, but somehow it helped him to unveil himself you know, so 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 this is what I mean. But at the same time, it was it is dangerous path because if you're not conscious about it, and if you just have only small sense, as I think he had, you know, about spiritual uh, spiritual skies, you try to use sexual experience to get high, the way you use drugs. No, that makes sense. Everything casts a shadow. Everything can be yeah. weaponized, and eventually, you know, it just wears off. Eventually, you turn into somebody like Marquis de Sade, right? That uh, nothing was enough, right? Nothing was enough. You know, who basically, for me, he became pretty much a person that, a pervert. He was hurting other people for his own pleasure. But what he was, I would argue, what he was truly trying to achieve, this is what also Kerouac on, on the on the road, right? He, he, he talks about it, especially when they go down to Mexico, as he says it, right? And they, they meet some girls, you know, in, in, in a brothel and they dance like angels, you know? So he has these premonitions of spirituality through sexuality as well. But then it all end, ends up in orgies and alcohol, you know? So, so this is how you miss the spiritual sky, so to speak. In Tantra, you know, the dangerous path is also, you know, taking it to the limit, but they actually... It, somehow managed to touch the spiritual sky, so to speak, because they did it more consciously. So there were this uh, um, radical tantricas, as they call them. They were called kapalikas, which means they said, like, no rules in society are important and there, there could be no attachment. So, but however, they would have a you know sexual partner, and they would copulate, let's say, on on graves and so on. So they did all kinds of weird stuff, right? But they claim they did it for the expansion of consciousness. It's almost getting out of your body through your body, right? But what is a dangerous path and taking it to the limit? When I'm talking about it in my book about Baudelaire and Kerouac, especially, it is that. Uh, if you don't do it consciously, it, you, you, you just look for more drastic fun eventually or for some sex toys. And, and it's just not going to give it to you. You know, you have to take it at step level, uh, one step higher. Right? Oh, agreed. Yeah. Sex is information. It can be holy information. Uh, for example, you talk in your book about was around 2003 when you went to Australia mm-hmm. and the Kundalini came up within you and Mm -hmm. you describe it in a really powerful way that bliss of creation joining shiva so i'm sure once you had that that ecstasy you knew this is the way this is much more than anything in the world that's right and i would just and it's just an an experience that you cannot dismiss you know so so then i had the certainty because you know, we can philosophize about something and read beautiful poetry like Baudelaire or read tantric works. However, it was a it, something interesting happened there and it was unbelievable. But what happened there that I actually fulfilled some criteria that they talk about in tantric philosophy, such as for several years, I studied uh, tantric scriptures, you know, platonically with other scholars. 
right? And I, and I, at that stage, I, you know, I was a devotee of a, of a teacher. And then, you know, spontaneously with someone, I didn't intend to have a tantric experience and I wouldn't know even how to, ex- uh, I, I don't have a method, let's put it this way, right? It, it just happened to me. And then the, the doors of all perceptions opened. You know, and I could feel the Kundalini movement and it was exactly like it was described in the tantric scriptures that, you know, the woman is always a conduit for Kundalini energy. And then this energy spills over to to a man, right? And the man can participate in this cosmic vision that happens and this conscious movement. And and some people ask me, how do you know it's not an orgasm? (laughs) <laughs> and i said oh, good, good well. question yeah yeah and some and, and some people even said gee i would be just happy with an orgasm right <laughs> well, i'm not asking that. for much <laughs> yeah that's right you know and you're saying how do you know and i said because it was a conscious energy you know like i could feel it it's it just woke up you know just at the bottom of your spine it woke up something conscious, like you have a different entity within you almost. And it is this entity is you, you know, but you didn't know about it. It's like this entity, but it's your highest potential. And it started to move towards my, my heart and it exploded there. And then it spilled on the man who was like, holy macro, right? <laughs> What's going on, right? And he also said, you know, I lit up. Basically, wow. yes, the light was there, you know, and I felt it and it was very, it became very meditative. It wasn't like pleasure anymore. It just it went to meditation, basically, as it was happening. And then it moved, you know, up to my forehead. And then this is when I know for certain that it's a conscious energy. It was just like paused as if it was paused as, as if it was trying to make a decision. Is it, am I just going to give them pleasure or I'm going to give them, you know, experience, cosmic experience. And it just make a right turn, you know? And, and then it like, it, it exploded again, you know? And then, then I was basically given a vision, a vision of, of the universe, you know? And, 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 and then this state lasted for a very long time when actually I lost the sense of... Uh, material world so actually when i went out on the street i just saw like particles of particles of energy basically oh like neo in the matrix numbers yeah i guess it was like neo in the matrix except that it was pre-matrix for me right (laughs) yeah that is true (laughs) so it was pre-matrix so i wasn't able to make this uh, i i had no point of reference if i saw you know if matrix was already on there or if i saw it i had would have point of reference but but i didn't you know so 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 I lived in this, in this, in, in, in this days, in this world that was basically lost its material uh, solidity, so to speak. Wow, incredible! That's amazing. Yeah, I've had that with uh, ayahuasca and a few others, but uh, yeah, there's nothing like it. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, I would like to uh, now pivot to. Um, uh, unless you have an objection, especially because this shows pivot to Mary Magdalene, or do you mm-hmm. want to uh, no, no. talk about? And it's kind of silly, Joanna, because just the other day I was listening to a conversation with Jeffrey Mishlove and Jeff mm-hmm. Kripal, and mm-hmm. they were talking about East and West. And finally, Kripal was like, 
we need to stop with this east-west nonsense. It's, it's the yeah. same experience because even yeah. the people, the tantric people who are doing very libertine you were talking about, mm-hmm. I can say, oh, well, that's the Carpocratians, that's the Frankians, that's the Persian man. You know, these experiences exist everywhere. But what I like, I think is so important about your work is that more than anybody, for sure, I mean, even more than Jane Schauberg, more than definitely more than Margaret Starbert, you are bringing the, again, the erotic and the spiritual context to Mary Magdalene. And I think that's what's so important about your work. Mm, thank you, Miguel. Because, yes, you know, Margaret Starbert did a very important thing, right? She said, I, I don't believe it, you know, that there is this... Uh, a virgin mother who had a virgin son, and then there is this uh, woman, Mary Magdalene, who, you know, has some erotic aspect to her, but, you know, now Jesus couldn't possibly, you know, have any relationship with her, and she said, okay, so there, there was a relationship, they were married, and they had children, and I'm not saying that this is not the case, but what uh, my kind of, because I admire Margaret Starbucks, you know, she's a revolutionary thinker mm-hmm. in this way. But, you know, what I thought that something is missing there because I thought, you know, being brought up in Catholicism, but now she substitutes, there was a holy family, you know, uh, uh, with, Virgin, with Virgin Mary and Joseph, and now we have a holy family with Mary Magdalene and Jesus. So basically, she's following the same paradigm or the same archetypical journey, right? And I, and I thought, what if, you know, maybe they were married, maybe they were not married. It really doesn't matter to me, you know, in my research. But I thought, yeah, I wanted to look into two aspects of Mary Magdalene. One, as, the, as you know, your audience knows probably better than me and you definitely, you know, you, you're my master of Gnosticism. But as you know, in Gnostics, you know, in some sources, Gnostic Gospels, not only in Gospels, Actually, in other Gnostic documents, she's portrayed as the wise woman, right? So I wanted to explore Mary Magdalene as both this wise woman, but also as a sexual person. Because once people started to talk about the fact, which is a fact that, you know, she was not a prostitute and so on, then they also stripped her of her sexuality the way the Catholic Church did with Virgin Mary, right? Because now she's the wise woman, so she's basically like some holy priestess or, you know, an academic, <laughs> you know, or something. And, and, and just because she's not a prostitute, you know, she, she either has to be pure sexually or, or, or she has to, and if anything, she had to be a mother of Jesus' children. So she had to be reframed back into this, uh, and I'm using it very cautiously, I'll explain it in a moment, patriarchal, patriarchal paradigm of or Christian paradigm that is still so popular, which sometimes drives me crazy, you know, of, of the family. Although, you know, family is a wonderful thing and I love my family very dearly. But what I'm saying is there are other archetypes, you know, and beings like that, you know, Jesus and Mary Magdalene could have a different relationship and Mary Magdalene should, should reclaim both has her wisdom and, and her sexuality, regardless how she related in society to Jesus. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Oh, yes, very much. Yeah, you're talking about uh, the whole goddess. I mean, in ancient yeah. times, the virgin goddess was uh, was an honorific title. You give it to Venus and That's Isis right. and all that. But no, I understand exactly what you're saying, um, because 
it's and we'll talk about this as we go on it's obvious that mary magdalene is an avatar of sophia blow by blow just like her story is the story of inanna and all these goddesses and as uh, Ian Culliano and others have said, Sophia's fall is a very central and erotic story. And when you do that in the logos and you parallel that to Jesus, you have a very erotic individual. But as also, like you said, as the woman who knew the all, she is full of gnosis. She's the one who is stands. She is the wisdom to the logos. And they're in this erotic relationship. And this happened, definitely happened down on earth. So it's all right there, but as you said, it's sort of been, it's been overlooked when it's there and it's very powerful. That's right. And just, I, I'm sorry, because I wanted also to explain how I'm using the word patriarchy, because I didn't like this word for the longest time. I just don't have a better word for it. Because sometimes the word patriarchy in some circles is being used as a weapon against men, and I really don't mean it. By patriarchy, I mean a system that is oppressive to both women and men you know, or in some circles it's called the empire because, you know, the patriarchy sent men to war, right? Uh, <laughs> and continues to. Yeah, yeah, so they I, die, yeah. Yeah, so I do not mean patriarchy as some kind of oppressive power of women. I think it is a an oppressive power for everybody. So, so what I'm saying, but perhaps this woman, you know, this amazing woman, goddess, priestess, however you want to call her, Mary Magdalene, that she was again refrained within certain limits right, or what patriarchy or the system allows, which means she had to be in some relationship, you know, that is seen as appropriate, so to speak, by society. And I said, what if they had a free relationship? This is the, yeah, Jesus said she loved Mary more than anybody, kissed on the mouth. But again, this is a a holistic relationship for sure. And uh, before we get into that, Vance, do you have any questions for Joanna on Mary or Sophia? Uh, yeah, there, there's several stories uh, about Sophia in Gnostic literature. Um, which one? Which one do you like the best? Mm. Uh, which one I like the best? I actually the stories that uh, I try not to go to different uh, Gnostic groups. The way you know somebody who does it much better than me, like Miguel, for example, right? So my, my the story that I really picked up and resonated for me in this book is actually from Stephen Heller's book, right? When he's giving it, this uh, the, it goes back to the mythology of story that Mary, that, Mary Magdalene, that, that Sophia is, uh, you know, is uh, false, you know, she's tempted by the by the light you know below you know so it's in, almost like a fall into desire or fall into the desire for exploration right yeah and and she falls there and then she forgets who she is right so so this is so so this is and this is what miguel often uh, also said that she falls and forgets who she is. And then this so well actually symbolizes our own being. You know, we forget who we are. We forget our own divinity. We forget our own greatness. And, and, we, and, and, and therefore this uh, metaphor of prostitution that we prostitute ourselves, right? But there's always help, right? There's always help. And in this story, you know, Christ consciousness reaches out to her and then she is, kind of in both worlds at the same time, right? In a spiritual world, and she, out of compassion for us, she also stays here. And this is basically our story. 
Yeah. Yeah, I always thought it was interesting that she wanted to create something without the uh, the God above God. You know, there, she had a desire oh. of some sort. Do you think that's uh, well? How does that reflect into human life? Do you think you know in, in, uh, for human women? Do you think we have an analog? You know, uh, to, to that desire? Are there some women that want to create things without you know the spiritual connection? So you mean like, you mean pregnancies or I'm not sure what? Well, anything. I mean, in, in, in the beginning, of the, the fall of Sophia was supposed to be, uh, she wanted to create without her consort, right? She wanted to create without her consort. Oh, okay. So this is what you mean. So without spiritual, uh, without spiritual, um, I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure what the, what take it. How, how how to actually interpret it? I must say, you know, what he wa she wanted to create without her, without her concert. I I wouldn't. I actually have no explanation for it. Sorry to disappoint you so much. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting on the Virgin Mary. Actually, well, I guess the Virgin Mary did uh, have 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 uh, Jesus without a human consort, I suppose. So I okay. always I always I always kind of wondered about about that part. Oh, are you talking about? Uh... Mm, this concept of uh, immaculate conception that yes. also another person uh, I forget her name wrote several books about that about priestesses and so on who actually conceived without uh, the help of man. Yeah, I forgot. Do you remember the name? Yeah, of this yeah, woman? it's a, the Italian girl. Rigoloso, Rigoloso. Yeah, yeah, she was on the show. But yeah. I, th I think uh, answering the question, I think, and it actually your book does play to this mm -hmm. when we looked at the really ancient myths cybele in the primordial myth she actually is sort of a male in heaven and decides i don't want this i want to experience something else and she castrates herself and falls into the material world and mm, the story the of cybele's restoration now some have said Sophia wanted to create something for herself. She wanted to experience for herself. She wanted to have an orgasm for her without her partner. Whatever it is, this is a primordial theme of this goddess who decides I am going to go down into the world and experience what I need to experience because I am the embodiment of wisdom. And this is represented, isn't it, Joanna, in so many other myths from Inanna to Ishtar, mm -hmm to all these goddesses that go down, which are basically, at the end of the day, it's our soul. I mean, even Plotinus said, the soul rebels against the one and falls into time. Mm, in, this, in this way, yes. So in this way, I understand what, what, uh, what, uh, uh, what Vance said. And, and the same, you know, the story of, of, of in Hinduism, in, in, in tantric uh, Hinduism or esoteric Hinduism, you know, Shakti, who just basically forgets who she is. You know, she just goes like a few dimensions. They call those dimensions in esoteric Hinduism are called tattvas. So it's very similar to actually to, to Gnostic levels, right? And she, from uh, Pistis Sophia. So she goes through these different tattvas and she forgets who she is. And then at certain moments she wakes up. She remembers, right? And then she can walk back to her real self. But there, there is this impasse, and I don't think it is like a feminine impasse. I think it's a human and maybe even divine impasse to explore, you know, who we are. Why are we here? And I think it is in this respect, Vance, thank, and thank you, Miguel, for helping me with this, because I was not sure if you were talking about conception or 
you know, referring to, to this other scholar or in, in more mythological terms. So, so in this way, uh, it is a, it, it, it is a story of, as you said, of human soul. We want to explore who, who we are and it is a cosmic story. It's like conscious universe trying to explore itself as a woman, as a man, right? Who am I? And I am of, uh, strong belief that this universal consciousness that we so much talk about nowadays, it is that basically it is conscious through us and it's conscious through its creations, right? Right. So, so this is this fall of Sophia is this, you know, this kind of supreme consciousness falling into matter for one reason or another, you know, whether she, it's not necessarily perhaps that create without someone else because she is the one, right? But in some ways, but she, it's the, the desire, what's outside consciousness? What is consciousness in action? Right? And, and she, she goes on this journey. So I wouldn't say that it's a women's journey. I would say it's a, it's a human journey, right? And then eventually, you know, after we've done, uh, you know, everything we wanted to do and see in some ways that uh, that's not enough, right? We, we start to walk in a different direction, right? We start to walk, okay, right? I, I want to be one again, right? Yeah, maybe some forgetting, you know, maybe, maybe it's all about forgetting, like the Pearl of Great Price story, right? The, the guy, yes. the guy uh, forgets who he is, has to be reminded. That, that's, I never thought about that. That's almost parallel to Sophia, huh? Yeah, and it's, yes, you, you, you have to be reminded or sometimes you remind yourself, you know, like, for example, like I've done all of this and, and, and it is that everything that there is, right? And you start to, and you start to walk back towards your own source, which is really you, right? To your, because right. you're just a, you're just a part of the source. And I think this is how I read the, the story of Sophia, you know, uh, without getting into details, uh, you know, of, of how different people saw her and, and different people interpreted. But this is how I read the story of Sophia. And now you walk back either with help, like here with Christ consciousness, somebody's help, or you have a sudden realization that this is not enough, you know, but I'm more than that. And this exploration, however, this exploration of a lower tatfas or lower regions or material regions you know is not in vain because it brings more consciousness to the universal consciousness everybody is enriched at the end so it's not a i wouldn't say it's a tragic fall it is a fall that allows us this exploration and we we learn and bring it back to universal consciousness and again this is the the goddess archetype uh, mm. persephone isis and anna uh, so many others, Ishtar, uh, Alice in Wonderland, you name it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's part of what the fabric of reality of human consciousness. Yeah, so you have to go uh, uh, to, into the underworld, right? And this story so is a story of goddesses, but also everybody's story going into the, uh, to the underworld and being trapped in the underworld and facing your worst fears, so to speak, in the underworld. And this is what happens to goddess Inanna when she... She's being tricked to go into the underworld to, I guess, her, her brother's funeral or something like that. Some cousin died, <laughs> some yeah. divine cousin died or something. And once she enters that, and she's promised, she, she was promised that she can come back intact. But once she's in the underworld, of course, all the rules change, right? So hello to hell, basically, <laughs> right? And he, she has to face all her fears and she's stripped of all her powers. 
And I think this is, again, a beautiful uh, metaphor for a spiritual journey, because I don't know how it happened to you, gentlemen, but, you know, when I went on spiritual journey, I was stripped of all my powers. You know, like, like for example, I used to depend on my intellect completely, and it was, in a way, almost for a period of time taken away from me. I had to deal with my emotions that I repressed forever. And I had to, you know, de deal with all of these things, right? So this is when you have to face what you have to face your shadow, but shadow doesn't have to be a bad thing, but shadow something that you are not taking into um, account. And in, in this book, I also am trying to do it the same with sexuality. You know, people are talking about the return of a return of a divine feminine and, you know, and, and, and so on and so on. And it's all good. However, not only as women, but especially as women, because especially women's sexuality was ridiculed and, and repressed and so on. Men were given a little bit more freedom, you know, in this. But for everybody, really, we cannot uh, transcend anything. We cannot uh, be whole again if we repress a vital part of who we are. Right. So so uh, that's why one of the uh, I, I have it somewhere here. One of the quotes in front of my book is uh, that I really like is I trust them because they tasted the fruit. You know, like how Love can it. you what you cannot redeem something that you didn't live through. That you didn't face and that you didn't honor. You know, we are not being told to honor our sexuality. Maybe men had lots of more freedom, but men are also not taught to honor their sexuality, right? What if it is a part of a divine spark? And how can we, you know, how can we embrace it, you know, without looking at it with, uh, you know, in some light, you know, a little bit differently than we are told to, to, to embrace it, you know? So, and so this is what this journey is about. Yeah, very well said, too. Uh, and uh, there's one connection, which I think is brilliant that you make uh, between Kali and Mary Magdalene, again, showing Mary Magdalene is an avatar of this charged energy goddess and full womanhood. But before I go that, I don't know why I laugh, but you talk about uh, there's a story where gods are fighting demons, so they create <laughs> Kali to like kick her ass she's like sarah connor you know she's yeah, just kicking yeah. ass but she goes crazy because again untamed womanhood is very destructive look at mother nature yes. so somehow she walks upon shiva on the ground i'll hurt and he has an erection because that's what men do right we're wounded in battle we're gonna <laughs> have a nice big erection right. show everybody <laughs> hey look at my boner but anyway it's a she rides it to calm herself down and she becomes beautiful. This again, her, her, her shadow side disappears and the lights. It reminds me, I don't know if you've heard of this story, Joanna, but the God Ra, when he felt humans weren't, uh, were turning away, he created Sekhmet to punish them. She was yeah. like, uh, you know, the wrath of the, the, the God, uh, nemesis or something. So Sekhmet goes down and starts kicking. And it, of course, it's an allegory on what happens when you turn away from the sun, from enlightenment, you, you become, mm -hmm. and you'll be eaten by animals. So Sekhmet is killing humans and they're is like, oh shit, she's out of control too. Like Kali. But of course, but in this myth, he gets Sekman to drink uh, some beer, so the waters of forgetfulness, and Sekman just calms down and becomes more of her, 
her tame self. And of course, we've talked the Gnostics, part of the Gnostics with Sophia is there. They were underground smuggling these ancient goddesses like Sekhmet and Anat, these mm. multidimensional dangerous goddesses that were being stamped out, but once upon a time were important for the psyche of the ancient Egyptians and the Hebrews. And the Gnostics knew this, and Mary Magdalene does represent this. But anyway, before I get anyway, the, the whole battlefield thing still makes me laugh with Shiva. But what are the connections of Kali and Mary? But can I just return to this yeah, Because actually yes, I was giving do. interview, you know, to someone recently and he said, what a pure excuse for a poor excuse for sex. Feel sorry for me. I'm hurt. Baby. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but I said, maybe it was an excuse, but it worked. It worked. So, yeah, because you would have killed worked. every god. <laughs> that's right. So Kali, so basically goddess Durga has to fight the evil of the world, the demons took over the world. So she creates goddess Kali out of her third eye. And goddess Kali, you know, does her job like, you know, Sarah Connor. And, you know, and, and she, <laughs> once she's done the job, she can't stop. Right. You know, she's high on, on blood, so to speak, right? She, she's the victorious uh, goddess now and she can kill anyone. So she starts to kill gods and everyone. She destroys everyone around her. And then she sees, you know, uh, Shiva lying on the ground with his uh, phallus erect, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, and she comes up closer, almost like with curiosity and sees his beautiful eyes and she sits on top of him and they start to copulate and through erotic rapture, she brings balance back to the universe. And she turns into goddess Sundari, which is, uh, uh, I always say, if you think about tarot cards, for example, uh, she's both uh, the priestess and the empress, you know, so it's this uh, essential yeah. goddess who actually also uh, holds the key to uh, uh, crossing between the worlds. And this is where Mary Magdalene is coming because she's really connected very closely to Sand- Sundari and she's really close, uh, closely connected to, uh, to Inanna, especially because all of these goddesses are portrayed with symbols and different symbols in different, for different goddesses. And in, in, in case of Kali, uh, especially and Mary Magdalene is the skull or in, in, in case of Inanna, it is the reed. Or in the case of um, Nimna, it is uh, it, it is the, the, the tree and the snake or the serpent and, and the fruit of life and knowledge. But basically, all they represent is passing between dimensions, passing between life and death, the way we know it, which may be just crossing between dimensions. So basically, they, they are portals. They, they carry the wisdom of the portals to moving between different dimensions of uh, uh, of life, you know, of, of, of universe and li- life and death. And, and what is beautiful in the stories of, of these goddesses such as Inanna and uh, Isis, uh, which was later made into, again, a mother archetype, and originally she was not that. And, 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 uh, and Sundari, and I think I mentioned already Mary Magdalene, it is that... Uh, uh, that there is this erotic, erotic, uh, erotic element to them, right? That this crossing between uh, between the worlds is somehow connected with eros as well, which is uh, affirmation of life, which is affirmation of ourselves as whole beings, you know, fully, including our sexuality, including our, our eros. 
right? So it happens through erotic rupture, so to speak. And that's why I, I in, in my book, I also explore uh, uh, a little bit uh, some more fringe theories uh, or hermeneutic even theories about uh, sexual alchemy, you know, where does it come from, you know? So, uh, so this is what these goddesses really have in, in, in common, that there is this uh, moment of uh, starting a new life or moment even crossing big dimensions or some kind of portals of life, which are also associated with accepting your sexuality. Yeah, well said, and I love it too. Um, yeah, like you write, uh, skulls are associated with Kali and Mary. Red, yes. uh, you just gave some of the other goddesses yes. how they're associated with Mary, and an important part that you also bring up too: uh, these deities of crossing the other side, going to the higher worlds of information, are usually trickster deities. And uh, as uh, again, Jan Kuliana, Sophia is definitely a trickster, and as you point out. Uh, Inanna, Isis, uh, so many other goddesses are tricksters too. They have a, yes, and, they have and a double-edged sword, and that, regardless if you're a god or a mortal, <laughs> that's right. And you know, and, um, and and they use magic, except that when I discuss magic, that they use what, what I call higher magic, which is not playing with lower elements. Basically, you know, putting some incantations, and you get some, you give up something, you get something or you make someone to give up something so you can get it, right? But basically they have access through the way they use their language. They have access to uh, what is called the mind of God or, you know, supreme consciousness. So they can actually rearrange reality on the highest level. Yeah. The Heka of the Egyptians. Yes, the Heka the of creative. the Egyptians. Yes. The Heka of the Egyptians and some mantras in esoteric uh, Hinduism and so on. But the Heka, exactly. The higher magic of Isis, especially. As I, as I ask all guests, uh, Joanna, where can they find out more about you and where can they get the book or should get the book? Well, thank you for this, Miguel. So uh, I think the best way to connect with me is actually via the book. And uh, I, I suggest, I know some people don't like Amazon, but I suggest Amazon or Book Depository or you can go straight to the publisher. So it's Sacred Stories if you don't want to go through Amazon. And, you know, if you like the book, you know, uh, please let me know or uh, leave, a, leave a review. And I also, have a, I also have a YouTube channel, Dr. Joanna Kuyawa, and this is probably the best way of, con of connecting with me. Awesome. Yeah, we'll check it out. Yeah, good videos, too. Uh, I've been a guest, honored to be a guest, but she also she has actually good guests there. And they have some great <laughs> conversations with scholars, mystics, people from the East and West. I know I keep saying it. So check it out, everyone. But we're at the end of this journey of the goddess falling into matter and crawling back up to back to the source. But uh, first, Vance, thanks for keeping us company. Oh, as always, it's my pleasure. And uh, Joanne, it's so great to be here with you. I'll say that again. And uh, good luck with the book. Thank uh, you, Vance. Great being with you as well. Yeah. Yes, Joanna, thank you very much for coming on A.M. Biden. As always, we look forward to the next time we talk, hopefully sooner rather than later. Hopefully there'll be a world. <laughs> We're not and talking in the ashes. I'm really hopeful because we really live on, on, on edge at the moment. And thank you. I would like to personally thank you, Miguel, because I have learned so much through you, you know, and through your shows, especially about uh, Gnosticism. So um, I, I really am eternally grateful. You do a fantastic service.
Oh, well, thank you. Pleasure's all mine. We all here to uh, light the way back to the Pleroma. We're all points of light. So mm. it's an honor and uh, thank you for everything. Thank you. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. The first part of our interview with Joanna. In our second part, she speculates on what happened to Miriam after the death of Jesus. Joanna also shares the many cool legends of Mary across late antiquity and the Middle Ages. This includes insights on the Black Madonna. We'll get into the relationship between Mary and the Cathars, as well as Mary and the Knights Templar. And so much more, I say, I say. So please become an AB Prime member, Red Circle subscriber, and Patreon at Patreon for the full Sophia. If you find value in this content, please consider supporting. It can be in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. mail. Keep in mind that the Finding Hermes program is going strong, and so are our virtual Alexandria-exclusive private meetings that include exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics and a monthly intimate Q&A. If you want to understand and experience Gnosticism in its full impact and liberating secrets, become an official citizen of the virtual Alexandria. I've done presentations on who was Simon Magus, the Sethians, the Gospel of Thomas, the secrets of the serpent Gnostics, Gnostic sex magic, and much more. Don't forget my voiceover availability. I'll bring you stellar voiceover with down-to-earth professionalism, no matter what project or scope you need. I'm also on Rockfin or Odyssey if crypto is your bag. If you need any help with all these choices, just message me. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, 
and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.